0: Welcome to The Storytelling Lab, where we break down how to get to the heart of your story and the hearts of your audience to leave the greatest impact possible. And now here's your host, a filmmaker and competitive storyteller, Rain Bennett.
1: What's up, my beautiful people? Welcome to another episode of The Storytelling Lab, where we help you break down the art and science of storytelling. This podcast is a six-second stories production. Six Second Stories is a video marketing agency that tells heartfelt stories to help you maximize your impact and inspire action in minimal time. Check out more about what we do at SixSecondStories.com. Okay, if you are here, if you're listening to the show, you know that storytelling is important. But here's what so many people get wrong or struggle with when they are trying to determine how to tell the stories of their brands and businesses and, and even of their own lives. What is the correct structure of a story? There are so many different theories on this. You've got John Truby's 22 steps to, to masterful stories. You've got the hero's journey from Joseph Campbell, which I think is like 17 steps. You know, Aristotle had three. Um, there's five, there's everything in between. But there's one that I come back to so often in my storytelling workshops because it's so simple and so simple in fact that it was picked up and used by the amazing storytelling experts and storytelling team at pixar and if you've watched any pixar movie ever you know that this team understands how to put a story together that makes you cry by watching fish or toys or anything like that so The Story Spine. Today's guest is Ken Adams, an improv comedy instructor from California who created The Story Spine. The Story Spine is an eight-step story structure that you can use to break down the format of almost any story you've ever heard. And we do it on the episode. He does it spontaneously um with a story that he makes up but that's because he's been doing this for years for years and if you remember back uh back earlier on the show we had a guest Kathy Klotz guest who actually introduced me to Ken Kathy is also an improv comedian and we talked about how we can make you know connections with with our people with our clients with our customers through using improv tactics and storytelling well Ken is a master of this, and so we dove deeper into talking about how we can establish human connections through storytelling, specifically through the practice, through the art of improv. Now, if you listen to the show, you know how how big I am on the connections that we can establish through storytelling, and it's not just about selling your products, but about creating those human connections and what you do with it, what you do with those connections from that point is totally up to you and your mission and your purpose. And Ken is such a sweet, sweet guy and so so knowledgeable and so well-known but so humble and so earnest and just loves what he does. And he he puts a smile on the face of anybody uh, anybody who interacts with him, including myself. I had a blast talking to him, but more importantly, he knows his stuff. He is so full of this great information, and, and I don't know if it's fair to say you wouldn't you wouldn't expect that from someone whose personality is just so. So kind, so kind-hearted, but then he just has this this knowledge base that is so rich and so deep uh, that I love it, and the way he delivers it is is so. I mean, it makes sense that he's he's an improv expert because it's so. Um, I don't know. It just, uh, it connects with you and brings you into this like field of his, right. This energy of his. And I guess that's what improv is about. It's about collaboration and working with other people. So he knows how to connect with humans and this, I've just, I was so excited to, to talk to him because I referenced the story spine and I use it with my story coaching clients. I reference it in almost, Every keynote and workshop that I give. So uh, this is a storytelling expert that I really look up to, and has influenced so so many people by by nature of this eight step story structure. I mean, anybody who's been inspired, you know, who's loved a Pixar film, you could argue has been influenced by Ken Adams' uh, story spine. So the reach, the breadth, the 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 depth, the impact that the story spine has had is profound. So here is my conversation with Ken Adams, and I hope you love it. So tell me about what's going on with your theater, with your practice. You know, we're still, I, I, I had a guest on earlier today and we we're talking about we're still talking about coronavirus and COVID. I, four, three or four months ago, I thought it would be short-lived, as many of us probably did. So how is it affecting you and your practice and, and, and the people that you serve?
2: Well, greatly. We perform at the Dean Lesher Center for the Performing Arts in Walnut Creek when we're out in the real world. In fact, that's a picture of it behind me, the View Theater, is their black box theater, and we perform full-length improvised plays. We teach classes to adults and to children in schools and in our teaching studio. I travel with a one-person children's show called Adventure Theater that I bring to libraries and community theaters. So all of that has been taken away from us since we are inside and we're no longer able to do that. And that's a financial strain, of course, but it's also an artistic strain because yeah. it takes away that opportunity to get with my community of improvisers and get on stage and do what we love doing. So. Like so many people have, we've made the transition to online performances, and we perform now every weekend on Thursdays and Fridays. And we've been having a great time creating new shows that lend themselves to the Zoom platform. And we are trying our best to keep putting art out into the world, even though we don't have the traditional venue in which we like to do it.
1: Yeah, you know, before we we started the recorded part of the conversation, we were talking about that that human connection, and so we're all missing that. And and stories are a way that we can continue that connection. I I, I do believe that, but there's 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 nothing that will really replace, you know, humans humans being together with other humans. And so, it, it, you know, on a spectrum, we're all suffering right now, and and I think yearning for that that connection. And, and you know, I, I feel very strongly that storytelling is that conduit, right? Is that vehicle to establish those connections? What What's your, we talked about it a little bit before we started. What is your thesis? What's your thought? How do you use storytelling? And in, in, in what way do you use storytelling?
2: Well, my main interest in storytelling is for the art of it. Mm-hmm. So I do spend some time applying improvisation and storytelling to all different types of Um, communities, the business community. I teach improvisation but my passion is getting in front of an audience and telling them a story and that takes the form of dramatic narrative in our case. We improvise full-length plays but the focus in that of course is on telling the story and like you were saying before my feeling is that when we tell stories that is the greatest way of connecting not only with the people in the audience but everybody in the world Mm -hmm. and not only everybody in the world but everybody who's ever come before us and everybody that we know is going to come after us because when you tell a story you are tapping into these universalities these common universal experiences and feelings that you have as a human Mm -hmm. and that in isolation is sometimes challenging to process so by telling stories And kind of resonating that feeling with everybody else in the world and having that sense that you are not going through this alone, Mm. but millions of people are going through it with you, it it provides comfort and safety and affirmation for your journey.
1: Now, was performance and theater, was that a part of your life growing up? Is this something you did as a child?
2: Yeah, I was always intrigued by the theater when I was younger. My first love was writing, and that's, Mm. in fact, That was my entrance into theater. I studied playwriting as a kid, and I was always interested in acting, and I did it in high school and in college, but my main focus was on playwriting, and that's where I really developed my love of the logic of stories, how beginnings lead to middles and lead to ends, and how characters serve the story. Playwriting was fascinating for me. And I didn't even know anything about improvisation. When I was a kid in high school in the 80s, improv just wasn't a thing yet. You know, it's not like now where every high school has an improv team, everybody knows about it on college. None of that was going on at all.
1: Was that crazy for you to see when it kind of became popular and mainstream and you've got TV shows and...
2: Well, yeah, the big TV show was Whose Line Is It Anyway, the original one, maybe, when was that? In the mid-90s, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, And suddenly this thing that myself and the company I was performing with at the time, which was the New York team for theater sports in New York, Mm -hmm. um, and they became freestyle repertory theater. We were performing theater sports and innovating a lot of long form improvisation. And, you know, a ton of really talented people all over the the country and the world, I imagine, were really devoting a lot of time and energy to this fascinating art form. And then to suddenly see it become celebrated with uh, Whose Line Is It Anyway? was very exciting. It was a little bit of a double-edged sword because Mm -hmm. first of all, it made improvisation a household name and that was wonderful it took this thing we were doing and and made it famous on the other hand it made only a very specific kind of it famous uh, so it focused exclusively on short form very um game oriented uh, sketch yeah, comedy almost point. oriented short form improvisation which i love i do not speak despairingly of that that's what uh, we did with theater sports sure. all, all of those years but it neglected all of the other potential of the art form that a lot of us were working very hard on. This idea of improvising full length plays and using improvisation, not as the end result, you know, like I do improv, which is this very specific thing, Mm. but rather thinking of improvisation as the medium with which you create. I use improv. And that thing you create is theater.
1: Yeah. 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 There's a few, there's a few directors, writers and directors in the filmmaking world that, that utilize improv as a way to tell their long form stories. Um, You know, you see it a lot in comedy, but, um, but that's something I think that's gotten a little more popular in the past 10 years is not really having a, a hard script, but just putting characters in situations and telling the actors like, you know, how would you respond to this problem or this situation? And many actors can't, can't do it. They, they, they like to have a line to recite, but uh, I've I've started noticing that a little bit more, but that's an interesting point because you're you're hundred percent right with whose line it's all gamified. It's all fun, short, boom, boom, boom. Great for television. But what I hear you saying is like, there's a lot of other styles of improv where you know, like you're saying you could tell a whole story, a whole play virtually using that method. Is that right?
2: Yeah, I think what improvisation is largely known at <clears throat> known as even today still is this short form game oriented type of product. So people think of improvisation as a very specific thing and it is distinct from theater. Companies used to say we do improv and theater to suggest (laughs) that there is a difference there, right? And my passion has always been convincing the world that improvisation is not just a noun, it is a verb. Exactly. So I like to think that we don't do improv the same way a writer doesn't do writing. A writer writes writes a novel or writes a play or writes a movie. You can improvise a play or you can improvise a song or you can improvise a dance so improvisation is the medium the verb that allows us to create whatever it is you want to create with it in my case theater
1: all right this is leading me to a place that I'm I'm excited about cuz this this makes me think of creativity makes me think of play and I know that these things you know you work a lot with the youth and with kids and I know that that's got to be important to you as well. And I was just reading something, or I think I tweeted something the other day about creativity and how it's, it's, you know, it's not a bone, right? It's a muscle. And if you don't use it, it atrophies. And many of us, once we turn 12, we, we stop, you know, I, I used, I was, I used to be in the fitness realm and the style of fitness that I did was very play oriented. It was using playground equipment. And we saw it there. We saw it reflected there that people stop and then they start going to the gyms and making it a very like formal adult thing, but the body moves naturally, right? Same thing with improv and play. And we, we we lose that. And and again, not to use this word too much, but, but people are suffering from that. Uh, Uh yeah, and, and so I, I love this idea, and you're starting to see the tide shift where people are understanding the the psychological value, the therapeutic value of play. So let's talk about that for a moment, just this idea of of being creative, being able to improv, because... I believe that that we all have that in us. You just have to train that that muscle. Is it do you, do you feel that way? And and I want to learn more about you using it with with kids, especially. Like how do we yeah how, how do we continue to harness creativity?
2: Absolutely, one of the most wonderful things my daughter ever said to me she's 19 now but when she was 11 or 12 or so she looked at me one day after a rehearsal that she was attending for my improv company and she said you know what's cool about you dad for your job you and your friends get to play make-believe yeah and she's right theater and Improvisation and all forms of creative art is simply tapping back into that thing we all did so naturally and so well as children, and that is playing make believe, imagining something to be true and acting as if it is. And that switch that allows that creativity to flow by accepting your own imagination is stifled as we get older. And you go, I'm sorry, what was that?
1: I was saying, why is that? Why does that happen?
2: Well, you go to school and suddenly there are right answers and wrong answers and you are instructed to create art, but in a very specific way and one instruction step at a time and if you then there's the social pressure so if you say the wrong thing you're humiliated by Mm -hmm. the other kids in school and that doesn't go away when you get older as you get older and you get invited to brainstorming sessions at work if if you say the wrong thing you are immediately shut down by the other people at the table and there is punishment for being creative especially if your creativity is in any way innovative or unacceptable. So that's why there is such a a low rate of success at brainstorming sessions, because people get there, but they are afraid to actually brainstorm because they are constantly on the receiving end of punishment for doing so, whether it's subtle or whether it's profound. Nonetheless, Mm. you learn to protect yourself from a very early age, and you learn to not share your unique creativity with the world. And how sad is that? Uh, sad. Improvisation, and the reason why I feel improvisation and all forms of theater, but especially improvisation must be studied and practiced by everyone, regardless of whether you plan to use it in any particular way or not, is because in- improvisation teaches you to accept your own creativity and to be comfortable sharing that with the world.
1: And so, and so- from right there, let's jump off. And what is the benefit of that? Because you know, and I know that that exercising those muscles is important and, 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 and practical. We, we can apply it. How do we apply it? What's the benefit of continuing to be bold enough to be creative and put yourself out there?
2: Well, the, the way I teach improvisation, I teach it through three rules of improvisation, which is really just my way of expressing what everybody knows. I'm not claiming to have invented anything great here but basically I phrase it as the three rules be spontaneous make your partner look good Mm. and build on your partner's ideas so that first rule of be spontaneous to me has many levels and as you explore it deeper and deeper it allows you to get yourself get your intellect and your filter And your judgment that the world has put on you and that you put on yourself out of the way. So that your true creativity, your true subconscious, your instinct, your wisdom can come out without being stifled. And in letting that out, that's where our great ideas come from. You know, um, there's a difference, I think, between being educated and being smart or wise and if you're educated maybe you know a lot of facts and you can recite them back if you are wise or smart then you can make connections between Mm -hmm. things that other people don't make right so like to be a great inventor you're not really creating you're not putting something in the world that wasn't there you're simply connecting dots in a way that other people have not been able to see um it's by getting everything you've learned and getting all of your defenses out of your way that allow that type of creativity to come out and allows you to see larger. So regardless of what you are doing with your life, you will see more and be more inspired in it if you look at it all through this creative lens unhampered by your learned defenses.
1: So, so just to reiterate, those three steps are be spontaneous, uh, uh, make your partner look good. And the third
2: was build on your partner's ideas,
1: build on your partner's ideas. What I love about this, this is getting me excited, is that what, what you're talking about, these are rules for relationships. These are rules for life. Like, you know, and so this is, this is, I, I, you know, I'm kind of a nerd about it. So I do get excited about it. But this, it is about relationship building. That's, that's connection right that and
2: yes and, and that's exactly why I said before everybody needs to learn this and practice this whether you want to be an improviser or a theater practitioner yeah. or not every child should learn how to improvise so that they can then apply those three rules of improvisation to their friends, to their family as they get older, to their adult relationships, to their work relationships. The world is a better place if everyone is improvising with each other. And what that means is being spontaneous, which has a deeper meaning of staying in the present moment. Yes. Not only allowing your spontaneity to fly free without any hindrance, but also really being focused in the present moment, not regretting the past or worrying about the future or trying to control things outside of your control, Mm -hmm. but really being aware of what's happening now and being able to access all of your inner resources in order to best deal with that. So if everybody could do that while at the same time helping other people succeed in their effort to do that, the world would be a wonderful place
1: absolutely and yeah it's not about being spontaneous like just whimsical it's it's like flexible malleable right adaptable and and i love that and all of those three things like those sound like the keys to like whether it's a relationship with your partner or 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 your colleague it's the same thing so i have a question
2: i'll I'll touch on that for just a moment you said um, spontaneity is not just being whimsical and in fact that really ties into the type of long form improvisation that we do at Synergy Theatre, the idea is how do you balance spontaneity with your goal, whatever that goal might be. So if your goal is to improvise a full length play with a beginning and a middle and an end, then there are certain things that make for a better play and or make for a less satisfying play. So there's a difference as you touched on between being spontaneous and being reckless or Mm. random
1: i like that a lot what was the origin of of synergy theater what what brought you to this point like what were you trying to accomplish when you started this
2: well i've been working on full-length improvised plays for a long time i started improvising back in 1990 very very late 89 90 with that company I think I mentioned already. They were called the New York Team for Theater Sports in New York. Now they're called Freestyle Repertory Theater. And uh, this very brilliant woman named Laura Livingston is the founding artistic director of that organization. and. With that organization, that was when, I told you, I came to it from playwriting. So Mm -hmm. before that, I was actually uh, currently enrolled in NYU. I was studying writing Mm -hmm. for the musical theater. I had had gotten my degree in playwriting from NYU before that. And so that was my thing. I was ready to go out there and become a professional playwright. And then I was spending some time at Brooklyn College um, just before I got to NYU. And I met a woman named Yvonne Opfer, who was already working with uh, Theater Sports and Laura. And she introduced me to improvisation. And she was running a very casual lunchtime improv group on the campus of Brooklyn College that I became involved with. And suddenly, you know, my eyes were opened up to this art form that I had really never heard about. And it was all of the joy of playwriting. Everything I was talking about before, what I love so much about playwriting, figuring out the logical rules in which the world of this play exists and how you can make your point by having the characters follow those rules from the beginning through to the end, but without having to wait six years hoping somebody might produce your play, not, not to mention getting cast in whatever role you want, which is something that also would not have happened. And I enjoyed acting, but I always knew that Inherently, I wasn't a gifted enough actor just to go out there and compete with, you know, other actors on Broadway and make a career like that. But I did think I had something as a playwright to offer that was unique and special. So I was focused on that. But now, when we started improvising in the, and I made that connection between constructing a full-length play and making it up at the same time, That was very exciting. And that was the beginning of this lifelong uh, or 30 year career and passion based on creating this. So I took what I knew about playwriting and I I molded it into this process for uh, creating a play forward. Uh, uh, The book that most influenced me as a playwright was called Playwriting How to Write for the Theater by a man named Bernard Grebonnier. And it was written a long time ago, maybe in the 50s or 60s. I don't know. You, you still find some out of print copies. of But I read his book and he taught me a lot about playwriting that I was always um, writing rather instinctively without a lot of formal training. And then this uh-huh. book just like snapped it into shape for me. So I took what I learned from his book, which basically teaches one to write a play by understanding by starting in the middle understanding what the main dramatic conflict is between the two main characters Mm -hmm. having that idea and then mapping it backwards to the beginning as you outline it so that then you can write it all the way through but of course in improvisation you can't do that so I, I took what I learned from him and I flipped it all around in a way that allows us to improvise forward and discover the dramatic landmarks that separate the beginning from the middle and the middle from the end as you're discovering it moving forward. And that's what I write about in the book that I eventually wrote called How to Improvise a Full-Length Play, The Art of Spontaneous Theater. So I didn't write that book while I was working with Freestyle, but with Freestyle, I developed this method and we started performing what we called play-by-play theater, which was a full-length improvised two-act play. And At that time, it was rather groundbreaking. Now, there's a million wonderful companies who do incredible work improvising full-length plays. Back in 1990, there were not. We really were breaking some new ground with it, and it was very exciting to be on the forefront of that.
1: So, I love this concept because when you're thinking about long-form improvisation you know, for, for people who can handle themselves on stage and they're maybe, uh, you know, improvisers or improv comedians, you, you can be entertaining for a long amount of time. But to do a long form play using impro- improvisation, it, it keeps, you know, it keeps coming back to this structure, like understanding story structure, which you've already alluded to several times. If you don't understand how stories work, and like you said, reverse engineering that, what you learn starting from the middle, and the dramatic conflict and working backwards, if the actors don't understand that, then, then it's reckless, right? It's spontaneous in a bad way. So, so, <laughs> yeah. so what's what what, what shaping up here through our conversation is this, this theme of balance, right? About being spontaneous yeah. and flexible and fluid and all these beautiful things about art, but also understanding the structure of what pushes a, a story forward so that when person A throws a curveball to person B, we know how to bat it back and forth knowing where we eventually have to go, the arc that we eventually have to follow. That, that, that's exciting to me because you can't just take someone who's funny and who can imp- improvise well and just throw them in that that situation and they can produce a long-form play. That has to be a story. So this is, is a very unique – it, of course it was groundbreaking because that's really unique because you have to have both skills. Yeah. So – um. I-
2: I think you touched on two very important things there. One is what you were just saying. Yes, there there is spontaneity, the ability to stay in the moment, be present, and allow your instinct to lead the way. And then there is the understanding of why you're doing that. What are you trying Mm. to achieve by doing that? And if you're trying to achieve an improvised dance, then your spontaneity expresses it physically if you're trying to achieve an improvised song then you express it lyrically if you're trying to achieve an improvised play then you have to express it in the shape of a play but you can't do that unless you know what the shape of a play is Mm. so I like to think of it as like this like I was saying before improvisation is not the thing you do it is it is a way that you achieve something in order to improvise a play you have to know how to do four things. You have to be four different things at a minimum. One is an improviser. If you don't know how to improvise, you can't improvise a play. But you also have to be a playwright. If you don't know how to write a play, you can't improvise a play. And you also have to be an actor. If, if you can't get up in front of an audience and create a believable character with truthful emotions, then you're not gonna put on a good play even though if it's a well-written play but if it's poorly acted then it's not going to be effective and you need to be a director you need to understand how to create pictures on stage and physical relationships between the characters True. in order to underline the story you're telling so if, if you study playwright uh, if you study improvisation and then but you never study or practice acting playwriting or directing and then you charge people money and say you're gonna improvise theater, that's malpractice because you don't know how to improvise theater. You might know how to improvise, but you don't know how to improvise theater. And that's one of the curses of improvisation, I think more so than a lot of performance arts is that it is so much fun and so accessible that people perform it with um, without fully recognizing that it is in fact, theater and that theater is in fact demanding mm-hmm. at, for the artist. And therefore there is a lot of improvisation that is not performed at the level that theater should be performed, leading people to disrespect the art form.
1: Mm. So as you're building this and your thesis is emerging and you're, and you're educating people and you're wanting the people in your company to be better uh, improvisers, actors, and, 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 and playwrights and directors and understanding how to do that, uh, you have to be better at your job at educating them, right? And so part of the reason, not part of the reason, most of the reason that I invited you on the show is because of, of the story spine, right, that, that, that you created. This is something that anyone that's ever probably listened to the show, definitely anybody that's seen me in a workshop or a speech, I, I, I reference it quite a bit as, I'm, as a lot of storytellers do. But what I'm understanding about you now is that you have, you, you're good. You have a a good way of breaking down these arts in bullet points so people can understand it. Like, here's the three things you need to be a good improviser. Here's the, you know, the, the, the four things you need to be able to, to do long form improvisation. And then as we lead into the story spine, which is a eight steps, um, you break it down so that people can understand. So in this journey that we're going through right now, learning about how you got there, you're starting to understand, okay, they, for them, my actors to be able to do well, they're going to need to understand the story structure so that when we get to the middle or towards the climax, they know what to expect and what's, what they can basically do and what they can't do. What wouldn't make sense at all if we did this at the last act of the play. Right? So, I gotta know, like, what, I wanna learn more about the story spine and, and the, what was the impetus behind it. Like, what's when did that start to emerge in your mind? That yeah. there was a clear cut so, formula. Uh,
2: it, it all started back in 1990 or so. I started working with freestyle rep in, in 1990 and, and very quickly into my tenure there, when we were only doing theater sports, this light bulb went off. Uh, wouldn't it be great if, You know, we improvise for two minutes, then there's a big laugh, and then they turn the lights off. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't turn the lights off? And we kept going, and we actually improvised a play. So we got to work on doing it. I took the work of Bernard Gravagnier, and I I, uh, played around with it in order to create something that can be improvised forward. And then I developed a series of exercises to help practice the various skills necessary. Um, So one of them was the story spine. Now, at the same time, I was teaching a a playwriting residency to a bunch of middle school kids back in New York, and I was looking for outlining tools for them, right? So I was working on both of these things at the same time. Um, And and to meet both of those needs, I came up with the story spine. So just for the record, uh, it's an eight line storytelling exercise that teaches the basic shape of a story with a beginning and a middle. And an end. So once upon a time, every day, but one day, because of that, because of that, because of that, until finally, and ever since then. If you say those sentence starters and finish them with sentences that all build on each other, then you necessarily come up with a story that has a good beginning and a middle and an end, and you can look at the story spine in order to understand how one section leads to another. So it's it's like the condensed most um, uh, you know condensed form of a story that can then be exaggerated and elaborated out into however long the story you want it to be. It's like the core of the storytelling model. Mm.
1: Um,
2: And by by practicing that again and again, the story spine—it's eight lines. You could do a million of them while you're making breakfast or driving to work. You just develop this innate understanding of beginning middle and end what's the and,
1: best and, sorry go ahead no please you go ahead i was just say what's the best way to use it as practice is it is it to, to build a story with it or to maybe break down stories that you know using it what's the best way to for a beginner to understand to really understand how it works
2: yeah, I think the best way to use it is is to use it as a practical tool. Sit there and make up story spines, you know. Once upon a time, there was a frog, and every day she leapt from lily pad to lily pad. But one day, she missed and fell into the water. Because of that, she drowned. Because of that, her family was sad. Because of that, they closed the lake. Until finally, her ghost rose and told them to reopen the lake. And ever since then, they mourned her, but they were more careful when they went to the lake. So... There, no, Thank you. <laughs> um, so you could you could do that, yeah. and what that does is it it builds the the reflex of telling a story in that model. So you understand once upon a time every day is the routine. And then the but one day is the event that breaks the routine and gets the characters into trouble. And then the trouble mounts as we raise the stakes. And then the until finally is the climax, which sets the character on a road towards either success or failure. And then the end is whether or not they succeed or fail and how the world reconstitutes itself as a result of that, resulting in a new routine. Um, and, And it becomes a habit. So then when you're applying it to your full length improvised plays, it's It's in your muscles
1: so so this this concept, this this story spine is a tool that's gotten you know widely popular and utilized uh, all over the storytelling space, probably um, misquoted and and <laughs> and miscited innovated
2: upon. innovated upon
1: right. We build upon each other, our partners. You're right, see? I have a lot to learn. Um, <laughs> and, and one of the, one of the more, um, uh, recognizable names would probably be Pixar and, 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 you know, brands like that, that have utilized it or even gotten credit for it sometimes. But, uh, I want to learn a little bit more about when, when did it started getting popular for, for lack of a better word. Like, I mean, it, yeah, how did that whole journey happen? Because now, you know, if you type it in, it's, so many results pop up, you know, like I said, Pixar gets a, a lot of those, um, but how, how did that happen yeah. in 1991? Was it just like boom or did it take a, yeah. it was a long, slow growth?
2: Okay. So, so I will tell you my version of that. I will tell you what my experience was okay. in discovering that for myself. If there are people out there who, who know I'm wrong, Come and add to the story. That would be great. But here's what I experienced. Okay. So I created this in in 1991, and it was largely uncelebrated and (laughs) unknown for forever, for a really long time. We were just using it to do our work, and you know, this was before the internet and before podcast. There was no way. It
1: wasn't like you were like, I created this thing. It was a tool to help the people you were working with. Yeah.
2: Uh, yeah, right, right. And and there would have been no way to broadcast it had I cared to, you know, these, these things just didn't exist yet. Facebook, social media, there was no such no, thing. No, no. So we were just using it. Then in, in 2000 or so, 1999, the end of 99, 2000, I moved to California. I left Freestyle Repertory Theater, I moved to California. And through some various twists and turns in my personal life, I, I stopped improvising for a while. I, I left theater and I had this very bizarre, very uninteresting six-year journey into the corporate world. Meanwhile, I have a very close friend who maybe you know, Cat Coppett. Are, are you? If, f-
1: vaguely familiar, yes, I don't yeah. know.
2: Cat so was in Freestyle Repertory Theater with me. And before I moved to California, she moved to California. Mm. So I'll just put that out there for part of the, uh, the routine of this story. Kat was <laughs> yeah, in yeah, yeah. California before I moved. Um, one, one thing I did back in the, ni- the mid 90s, when I was with Freestyle, we would travel around and we would mix with other improvisers and other theater sports companies. One trip I took was out to California where I taught a workshop And I taught the story spine to a company called Bay Area Theater Sports, or better known as BATS Improv. Mm -hmm. And a woman there named Rebecca Stockley, who was one of the founding members of BATS, took the workshop. So then I came out here in 2000 and I stopped improvising for a while. In the meantime, Rebecca started working at Pixar using improvisation to help the writers craft stories, and she taught them the story spine. That's how the story spine became a part of the Pixar culture. The other thing that was happening is Cat Coppet she started focusing very much on applied improvisation this concept of taking improvisation and using its tenets right spontaneity building on each other's ideas towards building leadership skills team building skills and a whole bunch of work-related skills and in particular for Kat the power of story so she started using the story spine in her applied improvisation work. So the Pixar thing was happening. Mm -hmm. Little did I know as I was in my very uninteresting corporate career that all of this was happening. I I really had no idea. In fact, I never even called it the story spine. Kat Coppett Uh came up with that name. As far as I know, again, this is my life story. As far as I know, Kat Coppett came up with that name as she was using it in her work. And she started talking to me about the story spine. I didn't even know what she was talking about at first until, um, you know, she told me. So then finally, when my six-year sojourn into the corporate world came to a close and I was ready to start improvising again, the story spine had become a thing. And if, if, if the world understands that I created it, it's because Cat Coppet told them.
1: How does it feel to see that this little, this little thing you created, this little exercise, like really help it reach people like me? You know, we don't know each other and, and, and I'm not unique in that it reached me. Like, how does that feel?
2: Yeah, it feels wonderful. It, it really does feel like a great honor to have made what I understand to be a contribution to so many people's approach towards this art form that I care so much about.
1: Mm. Well, I think that I mean, it's like I said before, it's clear to me that you have this knack for being able to explain art in a in a tangible, you know, way that people can can grasp it. And it still it still brings me back to this synergy, if you will, right? This this balance, this balance uh between people, which and balance is a is a is a concept and a theme that's reflected in stories as well, right? It's always this balance to it.
2: Yes. Um where where are you going with that what do you mean exactly by balance is reflected in storytelling
1: well whether we're talking about you know good and bad or what someone is is seeking this internal struggle versus external struggle there's you know we start with balance and then as you say the uh what's the um uh the routine as you called it and then something you know mm-hmm. the thing throws it off balance and then the goal is to get it back to balance and some sort of equilibrium. Yeah. I mean, The whole thing is, you know, this, this rocking ship that we're trying to level, it seems, right? The whole thing of, of storytelling.
2: Yeah, I, I think that's very deep and, and very profound. And, and I think that touches on two different things that we've been talking about. One is, again, back to that constant balance between spontaneity mm-hmm. and the shape of the art that you're trying to perform even if you look at those short form games um, I don't know Rain do, are, are you do you perform improvisation do you play short form I improv-
1: don't I mean I a lot of I have friends in that space and I spend time on stage and I grew up acting and, and doing theater and so I would be comfortable with that There are just to my knowledge there there isn't a lot I'm in North Carolina and I'm sure there is now because it's popular uh, but it wasn't ever anything that I um tried or really uh, sought out, but the skill and the love of it is something that I possess so i've never felt far removed from it, and kind of one of those uh-huh. things that i bet I, I bet I could do that if I just like went and practiced mm-hmm. it because i I enjoy the elements that make it up
2: oh, I, I'm sure you know you've seen whose line is it anyway so Absolutely. so i'm sure you know but you know short form improv is all about putting restrictions on one's spontaneity. Mm -hmm. So the idea is we're going to improvise a scene, but we can only speak in the next consecutive letter of the alphabet, or we can only speak using five word sentences, or any of the other, you know, million of restrictions that we put on our spontaneity in order to create the rules of the game. And that's what makes those scenes so enjoyable. So this concept of balancing, you know, your freewheeling spontaneity, with a with a goal with a very specific set of rules that result in achieving a goal is inherent in performance improvisation short form and long form so that concept of balance i think you learn it improvising but then you can apply it to your life so quickly like um you know the, the world is a dangerous perhaps meaningless confusing place and for you to find some sense of comfort and safety within that Chaos requires this ability to be in the present and understand what you're trying to achieve, mm-hmm. and be flexible in order to keep working towards that goal in spite of the unknowns around you. And and that's where the balance you learn from improvisation applies to your trek through this world we live
1: in. Absolutely, and and if we do want to talk about uh, applied improvisation or using it for our work or our marketing messages. That's, a, that's an opportunity as well is, is to be able to use the spontaneity of storytelling and, and human connection, but you're always going to have a format or a platform or a discipline. You know, if I'm going to do it via a blog or an Instagram post, you're going to have some rules that, that keep that spontaneity from just flowing completely freely. So I like this idea of, of, of pulling from that skill uh, to be able to create, but then understanding that sometimes it has to shape a certain form. Like if we're talking about short form improv, because in, yeah, if and, is in and business- I
2: will say that um, th- th- there are, there are some improvisers who are challenged by the the playwriting structure that I that I present in my book and and my take on what it takes to create a full length play, um, because of the feeling that it's imposing rules upon their creativity and it's preventing that free flow spontaneity so I, I, li- I like to respond to that by pointing to artistic formats like the sonnet or the haiku where there is very very restrictive rules about how these Absolutely. things must be composed nonetheless there are millions of them like that you can and you can keep creating millions more so the rules don't hamper spontaneity it simply provides a shape for
1: it yeah and and we can't You can't get completely away from from structure and and some sort of rules, even with even with big, big concepts, water, the universe, like everything there's structure to everything. I mean, you can't avoid that. Yeah. You you and I are talking about the beauty of being able to be spontaneous and flow with someone else, but there's life life has (laughs) structure. I mean, it doesn't have to be rigid. Again, what we're talking about here is this dance. We're somewhere there in the middle, so that we can pull from both sides and connect with people. And so it's, I don't think it's one way this way or one way that way at all. Uh,
2: And and another thing that I think stems out of this is the idea that this thing we do of making up stories is an effort to help us find that structure. Because when you just look at the world itself, it is often incomprehensible, right? Like very good people die in car accidents and very bad people, Are rewarded with wealth and fame and there seems to be no rhyme or reason or safety in the universe as we see it but we we make up stories which help us process that world in a way that has rules and that makes sense and that affirms our belief that if we keep up the good fight and keep struggling against adversity we are on a path towards success Mm -hmm. and and so it's our Uh, so part of our need to tell stories is to bring some order to the chaos and help us achieve that balance you were talking about.
1: I love that. That 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 was a great statement. I really love that. I was wondering, you know, you talked earlier about kind of falling in love with this relationship, if you will, this this thing of performing for people, right? Live in person. Was there a moment as you were coming up, as you were growing up, where you realized that that and, and, and sharing stories and telling stories like that was it for you. Like, was there a moment when you realized that like, Oh, this, this vibe, this feeling that I get from that connection and that response is it, this is, this is what I want.
2: Yes. Yes. Um, and, and to be very fair, it was more, Um, it wasn't quite as mature as realizing I love to tell stories. What it was, was I love being on stage and hearing that audience laugh at my jokes and clap for me. That, That feeling of affirmation from being on stage, whether it's a scripted play or whatever your art form is, improvisation. But when you do that thing and the audience explodes with laughter and applause, or whatever response it is you were going for. You get that. That is just the most blissful feeling I have ever experienced. And it never gets old. I've been improvising for 30 years now and standing on stage and hearing that laughter right when you know it's gonna come because you crafted that moment so perfectly is bliss, is joy. So that was my attraction to theater because I was interested in theater before I knew what improvisation was. But I was in my school plays and I had the opportunity to write some plays and see them produced at an early age. And so that was the, the drug for me was getting that acclamation and affirmation from the audience. As I continued doing it and matured into it, I discovered that what I was doing was telling stories. Mm-hmm. And so I, I came to appreciate that art form after the fact.
1: Very, very cool. I'm, I'm, I'm so glad that you came on the show. I'm really enjoying this conversation. I really like, I would love to sit down and just like have a coffee with you and, and chat about this sort of stuff, which we are doing virtually now. Uh, but um, yeah, this is, I really love the way you view the world. Um, so I know when we started talking on, on today, we were mentioning just we're still in the middle of this coronavirus crisis and whatever the world is, is going through right now. And so I'm wondering, uh, I know that it's affected your theater, but I'm wondering, like, what's, what's up for you for the remainder of 2020 or 2021? Like, what are, you, what are you trying to work on now? Or have you had to pivot? You know, what are you excited about? Is there something that you're excited about coming up? Or, or...
2: Yeah. Well, of course, the loss of being in front of a live audience is profound. And there's no substitute for that. I, I am lucky, if lucky even applies today, I am lucky in that I, I didn't own a theater that I lost. You know, we rent that space to work in. If we're not there, then it doesn't cost us anything. So, so I'm not suffering like that. A, a building isn't closing for me. Sure. I, I am certainly losing a lot of revenue from our ticket sales and our teaching and our student uh, programs and schools. Uh, we've moved everything that we can move online, Online, so now we teach improv classes online, and that's helpful, but but you can't charge as much and it's not quite as popular. So So there's definitely a financial strain. On the other hand, what we've discovered is this Zoom medium and, and this exciting thing that we're all kind of figuring out together now about how to perform improvisational theater online. And as a result, we've come up with seven really innovative new shows that we never would have come up with in the live theater because we didn't need to. How can you create a show that necessitates being separate from someone else and unable to be in their physical presence? That's one challenge that we are shaping our improvisation towards, our um, show creation towards. Or how can we leverage what Zoom forces us into in a way that makes it seem like a choice rather than a restriction Hmm. and we're able to perform more now so now we're performing every weekend thursday and, and friday so in that sense it's been freeing where we're performing more we're making up new shows we we're um exploring new audiences because we're not restricted to the people who live in our area. So exactly we're picking cool. up audiences from the East coast where where I'm able to perform with Kat Coffin again. I meant, you know, she lives that's in awesome. New York. Now I live in San Francisco. Suddenly people who used to be in my theater company and moved away, they're in my theater company again, because <laughs> that's we're that's all awesome. performing online together. So in that respect, it's been kind of cool. And I will tell you that when, when I sit in front of the computer with these six other people and we're about to put on our improvised show, it is every bit as exciting oh. to me as a, as a storyteller and a performer as when we were there live. I, I imagine once we're live again, I will remember the difference and <laughs> will realize huh, this is really better than sure. that. You know, but still making up stories is thrilling. And whether you're making them up in front of a radio microphone or a television camera or a live audience, we're still making up stories and and becoming people. Like my daughter said, we're still playing make-believe for our living. And that is an honor and a thrill.
1: I love it. And where where can people see those performances or maybe sign up for your classes?
2: Yeah, oh, thank you so much. So the website is synergytheater.com, synergytheater.com. synergytheater.com. Our shows, we're performing Thursdays at 4 o'clock p.m. Pacific time and Fridays at 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific time. And it's all for free on our YouTube channel. So if you just search YouTube for Synergy Theater, you'll find us, all of the shows we've been doing are there so you can go back and watch them and watch the live ones as well. If you want to take a class with us, we have everything from improv one through four plus these master classes, which I'm teaching right out of the book, how to improvise a full length play. And those are uh, six advanced players and we just go through the process and learn to improvise plays together. So all of this information is on synergytheatre.com um, You can email me, k-e-n-n, ken at com, or call me at 925-408-8540. Uh, and I would love to meet you and work with you.
1: Love that, all access. Well, again, Ken, thank you so much. This was a pleasure and an honor and, and I had a really fun time talking to you.
2: Thank you so much, Rain. The, the honor was very mutual. Thank you for
1: inviting me. Oh, yeah, have a great night. Bye-bye. My name is Rain Bennett, Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed that episode, do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. If you're already a subscriber and you're enjoying the show, give us a review and let us know the value that you've gotten from it. We love to hear from our listeners and learn about the benefits that they're getting from the show. That's what fuels us and that's what fuels the show. And if you've already subscribed and you've already reviewed it and you think there's someone else that would benefit from listening to this show, please, please share it with them. The more we grow, the more we can help you grow, and that's what we're here to do. Join us next time on the Storytelling Lab.
0: Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time.